morning. It is good to be with you. It's good for us to be together. We have visitors with us today, and we are so delighted to have you. And we hope that you will come back and be with us again as often as you are traveling. And if you're from the area, we encourage you to come back this evening as we will gather again, Lord willing, at 6 p.m. for another hour of worship. God is love. He took actions because of that love. For example, in John 3:16, we know that God so loved the world that he gave us his son, his only begotten son. Romans 5 talks about how that son died for us while we were yet still in our sins. And because he did that, 1 John 4.10 talks about how that same son, therefore, is the propitiation for our sins. And in Luke 24, you have Luke's account of God sending out men to proclaim the, the great gospel message of Jesus Christ to all nations, calling them, proclaiming to them repentance and forgiveness, all in his son's name. And then in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the apostle Peter writes about the character of God, and he says, God suffers long with humanity, and he suffers long with humanity because God desires man to repent. He does not want them to be condemned. And so disciples of Jesus are therefore called and instructed to do what? Well, we are called and instructed to imitate that love. To love as God has loved, to love as Christ has loved. Now our love is not to be like the love of the world, but rather it is a love that is depicted even in Christ himself. We are told to love as he loved even to the point that we're willing to lay down our lives for one another. And we know love by the very fact that's what Jesus did. Such love, though, is learned. Such love is learned. That kind of love is cultivated. That kind of love has to be nourished. And from time to time, it may even require some pruning to it to cut off those things that are not of God or of Christ, that pollute or hinder the love that is to be growing in us and exemplified in our life. One aspect of that love is the fact that we are to have an impartial welcoming spirit. This kind of attitude, this kind of spirit is going to grow out of a Christ-like love. And if we're not actively displaying such a spirit toward others, whether it's toward our brethren or whether it's to strangers, if we are not showing and living an impartial, welcoming spirit, then we're not walking in love as Jesus walked. Because that's what exactly Jesus did in his life on earth. 
that every day he showed an impartial, welcoming spirit to all kinds of different people. And why is that? Well, because first of all, impartiality, not being a respecter of persons, that, that is the very character of God. God is impartial. And because God is impartial, therefore we must become impartial as well. That's part of our putting off the old man and putting on the new man, is that we've got to learn how to be impartial to other people. And so we need, to, we need to show impartiality just like God shows impartiality. Peter wrote there in his first letter in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, like the Holy One, like God, like Jesus, who called you, he says, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Well, one of the attributes of God is impartiality. That's part of holiness. If I'm going to be holy like God is holy and holy like Jesus is holy, then I've got to learn how to be impartial toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. But also I have to learn how to be impartial to people in the world as well. We are not being holy we are not being holy if we are respecters of persons like the world is. If we're acting like the world, then we're not being holy like Jesus was holy, like God is holy. God is justly holy. He does not show partiality and never has shown partiality. Even back in the law of Moses, under the law of Moses, in Deuteronomy, you can read there in the 10th, 10th chapter, verse 17, he says, for the Lord your God, as here's Moses, he's talking to his children, his people Israel in the Old Testament time, he says, for you, the Lord, for Jehovah your God, is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. And then that same attribute is brought out again in the New Testament under the, the new covenant of Christ in Romans chapter 2, verse 11. He says, there is no partiality with God as he describes the condition of the world and the sins of all men, no matter what they look like or where they live. You know, he says, all of you are sinners and God's not partial to any one of you. Interestingly, this is something that Sometimes you have to learn, just like the apostle Peter had to learn this, of all people. One of the apostles sent to proclaim the, word, the gospel to the world, you know, he was there with Jesus, with the other, with the, with the other ten, you know, before Jesus ascended, he said he commissioned them, go out on the world, make disciples, baptize them, you know, preach to them repentance and forgiveness. Peter was there, he heard it. And they begin preaching in Jerusalem. And they're even told in Acts 1, this is just the starting point. You know, this is just basically dropping you know, the stone in, in the water, and now it's supposed to go outward. But over in Acts chapter 10, with the story of Cornelius and his household, here the apostle Peter has to be taught, has to be reminded of the character of God and the very purpose of the gospel. Peter learned the lesson 
he learned that when it comes to the character of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's for literally everybody, even some folks that you have not associated with because they weren't like you. And so in Acts chapter 10, he's there you know, with Cornelius and now at his house, you know, about to preach to him you know, about Jesus. And he says, Peter opens his mouth in chapter 10, verse 34, I most certainly understand that God is not one to show partiality. Peter didn't fully understand that until this moment. Some versions actually add the word now. I now understand really what the gospel is all about. And he goes on to say, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. God does not show partiality and all men are welcome to me who will turn and serve me. And he continues to preach there about Jesus of Nazareth and who he is and that there is salvation no other name but Jesus Christ. You know, that's why, for example, over in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, that the apostle Paul solemnly charged Timothy. He says, watch yourself, Timothy. You be careful, Timothy, that you do not you know, show any bias, that you do not show any kind of partiality. Hmm. This is Timothy of all people. But yet Paul is saying, now, Timothy, you need to remember this. As you're going about preaching the gospel, doing the work of the Lord, and Timothy was an exemplary servant of Christ, dear to Paul, that he you know, you know, used in all different kinds of ways. And sometimes he referred to, Timothy, to folks as, and look at Timothy. This is the kind of person you need to be like. But Timothy had to be reminded here in the fifth chapter of that first letter to him, in verse, in verse 21, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of his chosen angels. He said, basically, I am charging you in the presence of heaven itself. Heaven, that's a witness right now of what I'm telling you and seeing everything you're doing. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm. before their presence, he says, I charge you to maintain you know, these principles, and so you can read there, see some of the things he talked about in chapter five, but maintain these principles without bias, without bias, doing nothing in the spirit of partiality. God is impartial. It's part of his character, part of his nature. It's part of what his love is all about. He is impartial, and, it, and that same kind of impartiality is to be exemplified in our lives as well. And so the Holy Spirit admonishes us through the, the gospel of Christ that we are to be very circumspect. We're to be very circumspect when it comes to our estimation of ourselves and our consideration of others. He says, watch your attitude. Watch your heart. Watch how you manifest yourself. Watch how you interact with another. There doesn't need to be any kind of bias. There doesn't need to be any kind of partiality. Why is that? Because that is not of God. Jesus died for who? For whom did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died for everybody, didn't he? He died for everybody. He died for all. And Jesus is seeking to draw all men to himself. And that has been God's plan all along. That God's going to call through the gospel, 
through the message of Jesus Christ, he's going to call all kinds of people to him. Even people whom society often ignore. The kind of people that society will cast off. Those are the kind of people that God's going to draw to himself to the gospel of Christ so they may have salvation through and in Jesus Christ. Isaiah talks about this. Micah as well describes how he's, the, the gospel being preached. You know, the outcast is going to be, become a nation of God's people. Jesus even reads from one of those passages in Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, if you open your New Testament, it's in Luke chapter 4. And beginning there in verse 16, he says, And he came to Nazareth, that is Jesus. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So he's back in in his hometown when he grew up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. So this is the Sabbath day. Remember, Jesus was born under the law and lived under that that law. That law was not done away with until the death of Christ, and he instituted the new covenant. And so Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. So someone else picked the scroll of Isaiah and handed it to Jesus to read it. And, he, and Jesus opened the book and found the place where it was written. So Jesus picked the passage here. Someone else handed him the Isaiah. Jesus picked this passage. And listen to what he said. Listen to what he read, the passage he selected. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and a recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus died for everybody and Jesus intends for his gospel to go to all kinds of people. But how did the Jews react when they saw Jesus interacting and teaching people against whom the Jews were prejudiced? How, how did they react when they saw some of the people that Jesus stopped and interacted with? Well, one example of that is found in Luke chapter 19 with the story of Zacchaeus. In verse 7 it says, they grumbled when they saw that Jesus didn't go to Zacchaeus' house. Because the job that he had and because of the kind of person he was. And they grumbled about that. And he says, Jesus going into a, a sinner's house. And that was the nature of many of the Jews during the ministry of Jesus Christ, that they grumbled, they complained, they criticized, they mocked. When Jesus interact, touched people's lives, that they would have nothing to do. Well, we will not even speak to that person. Are we, are we impartial like our Lord was? Are we impartial like our Lord when it comes to welcoming 
all and everyone to hear and obey the gospel who are different from us economically, who are different from us educationally, who are different from us racially, who are different from us morally, are we impartial like Jesus? Jesus went into a sinner's house. He did. Zacchaeus was a sinner. Like everybody else was a sinner. But Zacchaeus was a sinner. And Jesus said, come down. I'm going to go to your house today, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is all excited about it. So are we like Jesus? Do we have that impartial, welcoming spirit about us at our assemblies in our interaction in the community, do we have an impartial, welcoming spirit toward people that Jesus died for, that Jesus wants to draw to himself that he may save them? Or are we slow to interact? Do we drag our feet? Or maybe we're a little standoffish, or maybe we may be somewhat cliquish, or maybe we're just pre prejudgmental about it. Well, they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear the gospel because you know i know what kind of person they are jesus talked with and jesus touched people whom the religious elite and pious ones of his day would not even touch with a pole they wouldn't get close to these kind of folks but jesus did he spent time with sinners he entered their house. He communicated with them. Did he ever condone their sin? No, God forbid. Did he ever approve of their sins? Of course not. But did he seek to draw them out of the darkness into the light? Yes, he did. Pure and undefined religion of the faithful impartially gives attention to all, everyone in need of Christ. James 2, if you will turn there, we're going to read those verses. James 2, verses 1 through 9. And it says, my brethren, do not hold your faith. So here are people who have faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. Don't do that, the Spirit says. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, not just ugly clothes, or not trendy clothes, dated clothes, dirty clothes. So you got the stream there. And he says, you pay, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or you can sit down here by my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? 
Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress and personally drag you into, the, into court? Do they not but blaspheme the fair, na- the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. This is a powerful message for Christians. The audience that the letter of James was sent to were Christians. People of faith. And the fact that the Holy Spirit addresses the problem of Christians holding their faith with personal favoritism implies what? Implies that this occurs among Christians. That's what this implies. That this kind of thing happens. May not exactly in the same illustration that he talks about, the whole clothing issue, but basically the point is this happens among Christians, people of faith, that they can be ensnared, entangled by showing personal favoritism, that they might be biased in regard to certain individuals. It's exemplified even in other examples. In Galatians 2, you have Paul writing to the churches in Galatia, and he actually refers to what happened back at the church of Antioch in Syria. And Peter was part part of this problem. When it talks about how in the church of Antioch, there were were brethren who were withdrawing and holding themselves aloof from other brethren. And And so you've got... Brethren, in this same congregation, and you got some here withdrawing from here, and they're being aloof toward these other brethren, you know, on this other side, however. And Paul rebuked them for that, and he rebuked Peter for being entangled and ensnared by that as well. What we need to understand is that, you know, bitterness and anger, what does it do? Well, it's, besides it's sinful, it's wrong. But bitterness and anger will choke out kindness and forgiveness. That's what bitterness and anger will do. It will choke out kindness and forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's a number of things that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus about what does it mean to be the new man in Christ, how to be a new creation in accord with righteousness and holiness and truth. And he gives a number of very specific instructions about things you need to stop doing and the things you need to start doing you need to start doing. And so you've got both sides of it. Don't do this, but do this over here. This is what you need to be like. Don't be like this other guy over here. And it's in verse 31 and 32, as that chapter is coming to a close, that talks about, okay, bitterness, anger, wrath, malice, all of those things to be put away. But he says, but he, then he goes on, but kindness. And gentleness and forgiveness need to be put on. If we, you know, if we don't rid ourselves of, of the bitterness and the anger and the wrath, if we don't rid ourselves of that, it will choke out what we're supposed to be doing. 
You know, if, if we are unable to greet and talk with love to brethren, are, are we not unrighteously making distinctions and transgressing? If I am purposely biased about something and, I, and I'm, not, I'm choosing not to talk or greet this person, am I not being biased? Partial. The illustration, James 2, though, I believe it's really describing more so the idea of a guest, a new acquaintance, a sinner, a soul that is seeking to show, that is showing some interest in spiritual things. You know, and over in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it, t- it describes the situation, you know, in regard to if there is an unbeliever that comes into your midst. See, if an unbeliever comes into your assembly and he talks about the proper use of the miraculous spiritual gifts and how, how the one would be helpful and the other would be detrimental to the, the unbeliever that comes into our midst. See, there, there is that concern. We need to be aware of the one who comes into our midst. In John 7, you know, Jesus talks about how that we are not to judge according to appearances. And that's what was happening in the illustration of James 2. The whole clothing contrast there. It was a judgment based upon appearances. And that, and that was unrighteous. You know, that's, that is an evil thing. Sinners have sins. Wow. But I think sometimes we forget that. I think we really forget that. Sinners have sins. Sins that not only need forgiving, but yes, sins that are going to have to be get rid of. The lives of sinners are a mess. The lives of sinners are a mess. Your life has been in a mess. But by the grace and mercy of God and truth, you're able to be where you are right now in your journey to heaven. Sinners have sins. <laughs> yeah. You think, in a sense, sinners are going to have dirty clothes. Sinners are going to have dirty clothes because they haven't been cleansed yet. And they're going to come with baggage. They're going to come with baggage. Have you gotten rid of all your baggage? Or do you still have some baggage that you need to throw away? You know, buffeting ourselves, bringing ourselves under control, self-control under Christ is hard, is it not, brethren? Isn't it hard to exercise self-control like we're supposed to every day? Our attitude, our words, our decisions, our actions. Do we ever stumble? Do we ever fall short of that glory? It's difficult. So you think of this idea in James 2, this impartial, welcoming spirit that Christians are told to make sure they develop and cultivate. Yes. Yeah. We don't need to be judging one another according to outward appearances like he describes there, but instead we need to be impartial. You know? if, there's, if, if, if that one shows up dressed very nicely, welcome the person. 
That's a soul needing Jesus. If someone shows up and they're not well-dressed, welcome that person. That's a soul that needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. And it's going to, be, it's going to take work and diligence over time to, to rid ourselves of all the baggage and all the mess that's in our lives because we've been entangled and enslaved by the spirit of disobedience. We need to be like Jesus. Jesus looked at the world. He looked at the audience. And what did he, see? he saw sinners. That's what he saw. Every single one was a sinner. Some thought more of themselves than they should have, but they were sinners. And Jesus knew the, all the ugliness that maybe others didn't know. But Jesus was impartial. Jesus welcomed the opportunity to touch impact to teach all sinners even those that the rest of society shied away from do we shy away sometimes from that opportunity do we shy away and not talk to a sinner because that sinner well that sinner doesn't look like us that sinner doesn't talk like us that sinner doesn't think like us. That sinner doesn't fit into my peer group. <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the questions go on and on. You know, it's almost limitless, really. The way sometimes, in, where they partiality or prejudice kind of, or bias sometimes, kind of wiggles its it way into our life sometimes. And maybe sometimes we don't even know it's there. Because we've gotten so comfortable in our justification of it. Do we reach out to people like Jesus when he told Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. I'm coming home with you, Zacchaeus. Do we have that kind of spirit about us? When Jesus did that, Jesus invested himself in Zacchaeus. That's what it takes. It takes each and every one of us investing ourselves in people's lives. And that, that's, what's that going to mean? Well, that means you're going to have to give up time. You're going to have to devote some time to this. You're going to, have to, you're going to devote you know, conversation. You're going, to, you're going to have to do things that may not be exactly fit into your normal routine. And you're going to have to make adjustments to make that happen. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus invested in the lives of people like Zacchaeus and everyone who was hungering to hear him. You know, he even did this with prostitutes. Jesus invested himself in the lives of prostitutes. You know what? And he converted some of those prostitutes. When you invite people into your home, what you, you, what you do, and I know you do this, when you do that, you're invi- you're, what you're doing is you are inviting them into your lives. That's really what it is. When you invite someone into your home, you have invited that person or that group of people into your life. Isn't that beautiful? 
And that's, and that's what Jesus did. And I would you know, also say time in a home is different than time at the church building. Both are necessary. Both need to be done. Both of our value. But time, you know, time in the building is important. And there needs to be you know, an impartial welcoming spirit at time in the building. That needs to be going on. But at the same time, what about the home? Well, that's another aspect that needs to be going on. Do we welcome a stranger to sit beside us so that to make them feel comfortable? Come up here and sit with me. Do we do, do, we do that? Or do some of us get so very comfortable with our, our spot on the pew, <laughs> you know, that, you know, we don't share it. <laughs> and sometimes that happens maybe just, you know, we don't even think about it. It's not like we're trying to be mean. <laughs> you know, but we just don't share our pew. The challenge for me today, as I wrap up this lesson, is for you just, just to think about the idea how important it is for us as people of God, people of love, called to evangelize the world, that you're going to have to cultivate a spirit about you like Jesus that was both impartial and welcoming. You know, we don't want to react like some people reacted in the New Testament. We don't, re- we don't react like those who basically, and you see that particularly in the, you know, the religious elite among the Jews, where it says that you know, you know, they wouldn't have any interaction with them. And as, as if they, they looked at these people as you know, that they were contagious with leprosy. Yeah. If, we get, if we get any closer, I might catch what they got. You know, that's not... You know, that's not displaying an impartial welcoming spirit. You know, we need to see that every person, brethren and not brethren, every person is, is a soul. It's a soul that God, God wants saved no matter how horrific his or her sins are or have been. That's a soul that God wants near him. He wants them to be pulled out of the darkness into his light. Why? Because the love of God is impartial. The love of God welcomes all those who are seeking and willing to turn to him and to serve him and to obey him. And that is through Jesus Christ. May we all, each and every one of us, imitate Christ by cultivating the same kind of attitude, the same kind of disposition where we are impartial and welcoming even to people, let's be honest, let's be truthful, that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Let's not not act like the world. Let's act like the King, the Lord, the Savior that has redeemed us from our sins. And let's imitate Christ in the love we show by having a very impartial, welcoming spirit to all those 
that we interact, yes, here at the assembly with, but also as we go out into the world to be the lights to shine for Jesus. There is salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. And if you've not called upon the name of Jesus in obedience to his gospel, you're in your sins. And the wages of those sins is death. Is death. But Jesus says, I will forgive you. No matter how horrific or how terrible or how many those sins are. He says, I'll forgive you if you'll believe in me. And believe me. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith. That he is the son of God that died on Calvary's cross and rose from the dead. And be buried with him. He says, I'll take away your sins. You can count on me. Because he's basically saying, I want you with me in heaven one day. And he said, and I've made it possible for you to do that. If you believe him to be the son of God, and you're not a Christian, won't you make the decision today? Call upon the name of the Lord, and he will save you. Call on him in obedience to his gospel. He will save you. He will cleanse you. And those sins will no longer be remembered washed away. If you are a Christian and there may be sin in your life that you've not repented of and you've not gone to your father in prayer yet about, if we can assist you in praying for you or praying with you, we invite you as well. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we encourage you, please come forward, make your wishes known when we stand and sing the song that's been selected.